Welcome back to What Brought You Here Today. On today's episode, I sit down with Gretchen, the owner of Parent-Child Bond and a licensed independent clinical social worker. Gretchen specializes in ADHD, perinatal mental health, birth trauma, and early childhood development. We have a really engaging conversation about maternal mental health, traumatic birth, parenting with ADHD, and how to best support yourself when you feel overwhelmed by the mental load. This episode does share brief details related to childbirth, so please take care while listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to What Brought You Here Today. Today, I am fortunate enough to be joined by Gretchen. She is a social worker, also in Minnesota, and her and I connected through a post that I put out on social media looking for people to interview on the podcast. So thank you for being here, Gretchen. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so why don't you go ahead? You can tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so as mentioned, Gretchen Nelson, mental health therapist, and I've been practicing, I don't know, maybe 14 years or so, and really kind of started to specialize in the neurodivergent population about closely, like right after I got independently licensed, just to, I kept finding the clients that I was working with just really connecting with clients that have ADHD and autism. And so have loved being able to specialize in that. And then about five years ago, seeing that some of our families were really struggling with postpartum depression or anxiety, I was really kind of curious about that. And so started to dive into that world. And it's been really fun to support moms and kind of support two, two generations, so to speak. Yeah. How is your work with postpartum moms, mothers shifted in the past few years or since starting even this work? Yeah, definitely with COVID. <laughs> I think that like thing that's been nice with COVID, you know, switching more to telehealth so that you can have moms just access when they're more comfortable and not try to have to haul their baby into somewhere. So I feel like that's really opened the doors for more um, people to pursue therapy. And I think definitely just the isolation piece initially with uh, not having as much of the kind of support maybe that they would have because people were needing to stay home. So support is such a big part of um, what can be a factor for someone who might get postpartum depression or anxiety. And so having that be a really big aspect definitely been something that we saw a need to get more creative with what that support looked like. Yeah, definitely. I think even before we started recording, I shared with Gretchen that I have a three and a half year old and she also has a young child too. And I think going Nobody prepared me for what postpartum was going to be. Mm. And I, and I don't, and nobody could have prepared me for what postpartum was going to be in a pandemic alone. <laughs> like there, nobody had that experience. Yeah. But I feel, I think the postpartum experience was still similar to a lot of the other moms in my life. Mm-hmm. And even I think some, maybe some dads who also experienced that transition too. I'm, I'm curious, like, do you see a clear difference between a typical, like, mother-father dynamic of their postpartum or experience? 
um, typical in terms of. Or just, I, I guess I just mean like the, you know, very standard, like mom, dad roles versus like two, like two moms, two dads. Like, do you see oh, no. something? Is it more of the moms experiencing postpartum? Do you see some in it from dads? Yeah. Maybe that's a bigger question. Yeah, great question. So statistically, it's about between anywhere from one to four, five, six, seven for women that they're talking about, that they're able to, you know, means that it is reported basically, or, you know, they can kind of document that. And then for fathers, about one to 10. And what they, the research is kind of showing is that if the wife or mother has is experiencing postpartum or even during pregnancy, anxiety or depression, the partner or the father is more likely to experience postpartum anxiety or depression. So then you think about both parents right. you know, being in this place of just drained just from being a new parent, but also from the anxiety and depression draining them as well. What are some of the symptoms we can keep using, I think, women for the example. Like, what are some of the yeah. symptoms that you're seeing more prevalently for postpartum depression and anxiety? Yeah, you know it, it's different than kind of what you would think. And so a lot of times it presents more as irritability, or sometimes they talk about mom rage, which is sometimes people feel have different feelings about that. And, and so it's, it's not sometimes as traditional as kind of, you know, the lack of maybe motivation or the crying and, and things like that. It, it's really can be hard to recognize within oneself. I know for myself, like having just done the different trainings and really like having this on my mind for myself, I look back at around six months where started to notice like all of a sudden I felt like my husband didn't love me for no reason like there was no evidence and as a therapist I know to like look for the evidence and there I had none but I would have this feeling and just like knew to talk about it with him but I could imagine other people maybe not and it just was kind of like this intrusive thought that came in and and also with another time where I loved my dogs but I had like murderous thoughts about my dog and they would just kind of come out and just I think the stress and Sleep deprivation, and I have not had those thoughts then, but I, I feel like that was an element. And so it, you know, can look different for different people, but those are kind of some of the themes of, you know, maybe a little bit more irritable, a little bit maybe more withdrawing from baby or the partner, checking things more than you can back, some kind of the main one. Do you think with the intrusive thoughts and maybe some of the obsessive behaviors that can come with being a new mom. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of increased worry and increased anxiety and the sleep deprivation. And it really messes with you. Yeah. It just kind of rocks your whole entire world until you figure out, you know, your system and your routine and that you can function on very little sleep. <laughs> I know it's definitely not ideal, but it is possible. Yeah. Do you see those intrusive thoughts and like those obsessive behaviors more 
recently, just maybe with like mm-hmm. the state of the world and society and coming out of the pandemic versus maybe pre-COVID? Yeah. And I think that's been true with all, you know, kind of mental health being a little okay. bit more yeah. of a increase in that. And I think it makes sense. I think that for some that maybe already had a little bit of that tendency, then it just really kind of the big um, it, I think that it also has and flowed with like how COVID has been going, you know, like there is like, all right, we're coming out of it. And then it's like, here's these new variants and here's it's back again. And so that's been interesting just to see also just with the prolonged stress of the pandemic and stuff to kind of the ripple effect. So yeah, I would say it's definitely higher. I think that the rate for all perinatal mental health, like anxiety and depression, and the pandemic too. Are you using typical therapy modalities like CBT, DBT, or are you branching out into other things to help moms and parents navigate this? Yeah, great question. So I I really love EMDRs. And so I did that specialty training with perinatal mental health. And they talked with looking at it from like birth trauma as well. And so I I really believe EMDR can be really effective. And EMDR uses, you know, different kind of modalities in that prep work with like CBT. So I think that that can be really helpful too. And then I see a lot of like interpersonal communication things that can come up with their partner. And so some of that work of how do we communicate what we need? How do we create, communicate like our our boundaries and, and some of those things that maybe were coming up before, but not as interfering maybe as much. And so some of the almost in a communication type of film, another, another aspect. Are you ever bringing partners in to do the work alongside each other? Maybe not in a couple sense but in a supportive role yeah yeah sometimes it kind of just depends if that would feel helpful for the mother if the partner has the availability and and is also kind of wanting to do that sometimes with birth trauma that can come up and the partner if they were there in the delivery room you know just having their experiences too so it's great when a partner is able to join, but sometimes a little bit more less common. Okay. Yeah, I've um, been I've been pretty open with you know, just like in the podcast and mm-hmm. in general about my experience in my own birth trauma having my daughter and I went through EMDR and mm-hmm. I still have a good few hours of time that are missing that I'm not mm-hmm. sure I'll ever get back. Mm-hmm just from the work that I've done. And I, I think I've learned that you maybe just can't pull everything. Which now three and a half years later, I've kind of learned to make peace with. But I'm and that's through multiple therapists and a lot of the processing yeah. of this trauma and, yeah. you know, the added layers of having a baby in the height of the pandemic in August 2020. And I wasn't allowed to leave the hospital room and yeah. There's just all of these other factors and layers to the 
that compiled onto the trauma, but how do you help through that when there's just maybe us like you're stuck or there just isn't you just can't process all of it because maybe you either can't recall it or for other reasons yeah you know i think that it's okay someone can't recall it because the body and the brain remember um what's important and what is and so i i guess i believe that that body and the brain do the work and so if i think it's reached kind of a plateau maybe that because you're just at a place that more time is needed or it's not maybe yeah i'd be curious if it was maybe not impacting as much you know yeah. from emdr where they kind of take that like what do you what's your rating of how discomfort the aspect is of the event so be curious about that. But yeah, I had a C-section and I, it wasn't an emergency, but there's these different parts that felt traumatic through the, even just leading up to being induced and feeling a lack of informed consent that felt traumatic because of the events that followed that. And I don't remember, I have only like, I feel like two memories after the birth and it, it does still feel emotional sometimes, but I think that the part of what I internalized about it, processing some of that of like, there's a guilt or feeling like my body failed me, not being able to have some of those natural birth experiences being able to some of those pain points that that can come up if those haven't been fully like recognized or names would be some things where someone might have gotten plateaued i don't know it's yeah it's, it's a big it's a loaded question there's a lot there was yeah. a lot of there to unpack yeah. yeah yeah i think i've just been fortunate enough being a therapist and Yes. having a really good network to kind of bounce my own experience off of. And I have yeah. a lot of moms in my life and even a lot of moms who had trauma and birth trauma mm-hmm. that I wasn't even aware of until I had my own and the conversation started. Because why would I have thought to ask if yeah. when I didn't have my own child or hadn't gone through an experience of that? Um, but it just has been kind of eye-opening of like, of, I'm not the only one that experienced something like this, you know, and it's not, there's maybe not any kind of comparison to giving birth to a child. It is a lot um, on various levels, but I think just having the conversations and opening it up and understanding that you don't have to sit with the feelings of discomfort around it or be like stuck in the, in the maybe shameful or not having the experience that you thought you were going to have. Yeah. And that that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I loved that you're just opening up the conversations in your podcast about it because I do think there's there's so much there for women of like 
what we think about trauma and naming it first trauma just feel uncomfortable or, or people kind of start to compare. Well, I heard somebody else like, you know, their story seems worse than mine. And so then we, you know, kind of dismiss a little bit maybe of our own story. And so I think just honoring our own first story, whatever language makes sense, that that's so great that it is talked about because there isn't uh, time right after, you know, and the doctors and the OB appointments and pediatrician, there's not space in the appointment that it comes up. And so then it doesn't really come up. And women are sitting with that, those emotions and the kind of really mixed feelings that can come up with, with that birth story. Yeah. And somebody's different experience or what you perceive as worse than doesn't, doesn't mm-hmm. invalidate yours. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really key piece, maybe to mental health in general and healthcare in general, that just because they had a worse experience or what you perceive as a worse experience than yours doesn't take away your experience. Right. And it's so funny you bring up the, like, the pediatrician appointments. I have a very distinct memory of going into the first newborn checkup with my daughter and filling out the PHQ-9 and the GADS app. Yeah. And they're just like, no, I just filled out the paper. Nobody asked me about it. And a week later, I got an email referral for a therapist. I was like, what? where did this come from? Yeah. And, like, and I think it just, you know, I'm laughing because it's just comical that it, this is how broken the system is. And I know we're making moves towards making it better. Mm-hmm. But also, I didn't have the headspace a, a week into having a child mm-hmm. to even want to talk to a therapist. Yeah. And all I probably wanted or needed was for someone just to acknowledge, hey, this is hard. Like, it's okay to be kind of off the charts on these things right now because you just mm-hmm. went through a significant life transition. Yeah, and just having that name. And I think that, you know, I hear so many different stories of women who did express having concerns about anxiety and depression and it's not... And then nothing happened, you know, like it wasn't followed up on. And then I, uh, recently we got, I think, United States of Minnesota, we got like a D minus, I think, for our rating on, on birth and all the complications that can come with that. And perinatal mental health being one of the top complications of, of birth. And so I do think there's, there's room and I'm not blaming you know any anyone in particular i think it's the system that is produced some work and being able to make sure that we're touching and supporting families and, and moms and babies yeah d minus yeah that's upsetting mm-hmm. very upsetting yeah compared to the other countries where do you think I mean, I'm also, I was also looking at your website and I know you do some other work with kids uh-huh. and ADHD and, you know, moms. Where do you see ADHD playing into all of this? Yeah, I love that you asked that. So I think even just from like starting with pregnancy, you know, when it's the first baby, nobody knows what to have, but 
the to-do list is so overwhelming for preparing. And a lot of kind of resources are still tailored to the neurotypical brain. And so I see that even just impacting from pregnancy of how to support mom from an executive functioning or managing, preparing for me. There's also interesting research that's finally coming out showing the link with hormones and ADHD and then estrogen in particular, when there's a drop in estrogen that can impact ADHD in men, they're more exacerbated. So for some women during pregnancy with ADHD, you might actually be feeling better. That was definitely my case. So great. I actually felt wonderful during my pregnancy. And I was not expecting that because just being off of caffeine and everything else, I'm like, was terrified I'm pregnant. And I know that's not the case for all women, obviously, with ADHD, but hormones can definitely impact NHD mood, as we know, lots of things. And so with the drop then after having babies, that, that can win anxiety wow, and depression can really sneak in for all moms again, but particularly for women with ADHD. The other thing, so for people in general with ADHD, there can be sometimes a sensory component, which could be sounds, could be you know, taste, could be touch, all those different, all our different senses. And so again, with pregnancy, that's usually heightened. And so for people with ADHD, that might be heightened that much more. And so that can just be overstimulating and can be overwhelming to experience the sensation for intensely. I, I feel like I felt, even though it wasn't necessarily pain, I feel like I felt my C-section and they like told me that's not possible. And I'm like, but I can tell. Um, and I contribute some of that too, even though I have the epidurals, I use all that. I just feel things more. And I think that that also can sometimes make the pain feel a little bit more. So the sensory component, I mentioned a little bit like the executive functioning. So executive functioning, if you think of kind of the front of our brain that makes the decision, that kind of is a pilot, how we organize, how we make plans, all of those like kind of function and so someone with ADHD can have deficits in their executive function. So we talk about mom brain where I feel like mom brain doesn't just really go away for lots of people. And so for again that like fog or difficulty focusing for someone with ADHD that's already hard and then when we're challenging. And some of those are triggers for anxiety. So like, how am I going to get stuff done if I can't think clearly or I get overwhelmed? Which is just like, I just hear from a lot of moms just how it can be so, so challenging and overwhelming, especially with the emotional regulation to uh, then when the baby comes, like breathing, trying to regulate yourself and the baby, yet nobody's really, I don't feel like anybody's really talking about it with ADHD right. and 
motherhood. And so I'm like, I got to do it. <laughs> this is your chance. I'm, you mentioned mom brain. Yeah. I'm three and a half years postpartum. Still have it. Yeah. It's just who I am now. Um, yeah. But now kind of this maybe resurgence, maybe like it has been ignited the term, the mental load right here. Yeah. How do you, com do you consider the mental load part of mom brain? Are, are they enmeshed or these two separate things? What are your thoughts? Because I think that I think the mental load is impact. Like I take on my mental load. It is my choice to like take on all of this stuff. Yep. It is made much more difficult because of my, my mom brain. But also yeah. there's a little bit of enmeshment there, right? Like my mom right. brain is also because I'm taking on so much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious I, what your thoughts are. I don't know if I could like separate them for what. And it's still like kind of disheartening when like a little research of like kind of just misses mom brain. And I'm like, you ask all the moms and they're like, this is the right thing. Right. And so there's just so many layers to it. Right? I, I do go back to like hormones, sleep, just the amount of things we're having to remember and hold. Well, all of them are going to impact mom brain and impact kind of what like mental load, I think. Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I, it's interesting thinking about my parents' age what it was like to be a mother then and what it's like for us now where you've got daycare sending us pictures or messages, you know, constantly. My mom's like, worry. And, right. and, <laughs> you would just, she's like, oh, you know, I just imagine we didn't Google, like I couldn't just look up what, you know, was going on. And I'm always that it's great to the hazard of Googling, but also thinking of like just the amount of things we're taking in and we're consuming so much information that create some of that mother load, I feel like too, or I told her. Yeah. I, there's just so much, so much, so much technology, so much, from, you know, society, so much sensory, like we're just constantly trying to take all of this input and yeah. process it and then add on a child or children and all of what they're inputting on you yeah is very overwhelming i do not have adhd i've never been diagnosed i've never questioned if i had it or not until i became a mom yeah and i was like <laughs> but then in my my logical brain is like i don't think i just get adhd because i became a mom yeah right but i hear that all the time in my therapy practice of like I'm pretty sure I have ADHD now. And I'm always like, I don't think so. <laughs> but let's talk about that. Like, why do you feel that way? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think that for some, it, it is the time that it comes out because there's more executive functioning that's required. And so their compensation for compensating skills and coping was enough to kind of meet the expectations for making it. And then all that just goes out the window because you don't have time for yourself. You don't have time to really sometimes recharge. And so for some moms, that is when they get the diagnosis and it, it becomes clear that that's what 
what is going on in years of anxiety and depression was untangled to ADHD. And then for others that does it, it look like ADHD because our executive functioning is being more taxed. When we score taxed, we become more forgetful. When we're multitasking more, we become more forgetful. And when we're not centering ourselves, we could be scattered. So it's definitely that mom's up for what can look like ADHD. <laughs> yeah. And it just feels like semi-controlled chaos in mm-hmm. the brain most of the time. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, as, as I've navigated this and also talked to other moms, it's, it's gotten better. The more, you know, the, the older my daughter gets, the more self-sufficient yeah. she gets, the more I can get some of like my autonomy yeah. back as a, as a person. Yeah. And to not feel like, you know, trying to like cook dinner and find a show yeah. and do this and get lunches ready and all of these things that there's only so much time for. Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe the society pressure that we have to do it all in the pressure we put on ourselves too. But I'm always, every day, I'm just like, why can't I just make the lunch, then do something else? <laughs> why do I have to try to do it all together? And then something gets forgotten or, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, or just, doesn't happen but yeah and I know I'm not alone in that I'm just kind of yeah. outwardly processing that of like it's normal if this is happening to you too yeah yeah absolutely sometimes I get envious of men who just don't multitask you know yeah. and like when they're sick they're sick and they just rush mm-hmm. and <laughs> and it's what's needed and I would I want to aim for that for ourselves <laughs> my husband is very much like he's just like one task at a time and very focused and good when he's doing those tasks but i want to do that too but then will everything get done right exactly right the intrusive thought of it won't all get done if i'm doing only one thing at a time yeah even though that's not true yeah right right we know these things what's the most rewarding part of your work I I just love that, like connecting with families and seeing the change. I think particularly with perinatal mental health, sometimes change can come quickly and that can be really rewarding, but it really just kind of lights up my own brain. I think when you can really kind of be in tune and feel that connection with the client that you're really trying to intuitively guide them yeah I love that what is we're just going to wrap up here in a couple of minutes but what is mm-hmm. one one thing that you want people to know or wish people knew <laughs> what, what, like, what is your shout from the rooftop this is my this is the hill I'm going to die on thing yeah asking an ADHD to focus on just one, I'm going to tell you my that. You can um, have a few. <laughs> so uh, my hope is that I get to a place where I can really put something together that's looking at early intervention for ADHD. Now, we know the research with genetic grief that someone, the parent has ADHD, a child, like, you know, like they have ADHD. And yet, 
there's nothing out there for early intervention. And it's kind of, oh, let's just wait till they get to kindergarten. And I'm not saying let's diagnose younger, but if we know that this child might have some risk factors, I, there, I believe there are some signs in early childhood that looking at the sensory, looking at skipping crawling, these really key things that are part of childhood that get mixed. And so being able to focus on that we can do early intervention for ADHD would be yes. my message, I guess. Yeah. What are some signs or symptoms that parents or caregivers could watch for in regards to that? Yeah, it's, you know, when people hit two years old or three years old, they talk about the terrible twos, you know, terrible threes or whatever. Yeah, two was easy compared to three. And it's hard, you know, to kind of differentiate. But one thing from like a sensory where kids that have a hard time with that transition from fall clothes to winter clothes. And so it looks like a tantrum or a meltdown, but really if, if they're having a reaction to this sensory changing short sleeve to long sleeve, you know, you know, it could be strength, it could be preferences of clothes, lotion, bath time. For my son, he may or may not have ADHD. He's definitely a highly sensitive boy. I noticed diaper changes. So he would just felt discomfort when I would lay him down. And there was some other sensory things. And so my background in knowing about occupational therapy helped, but I wouldn't have recognized these signs otherwise. So I think looking at what are the things your child is having a great time with and thinking about what could be some possibly causes other than they're just trying to be naughty because kids generally want to do well if they can. And so it's likely that it's something that's hard. And there's a whole lot more, but I know we're wrapping it up. And- no, yeah. Those are very helpful. And I think a lot of those, you know, I work a lot with young children and their parents. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's really hard to tell the difference, like you're saying, of what is kind of like developmentally appropriate behaviors yeah. and what is something else. Yeah. And so I think even just naming those few, like, I don't think I would have ever even thought of. I know clothes are an issue, but especially like yeah. the transition to different clothes. Mm-hmm. And different seasons mm-hmm. can be really difficult. So that was really, really helpful for me too, as a professional yeah. and a mom. Where can people find you if they want to schedule with you? If Are you on social media? I'll put everything in the links in the show notes too, but where can they find you? Yeah, thank you. So on my website, I keep forgetting to know what this symbol is. So I have, so www.parent and then it's the dash in the middle. What is that one called? Is it hyphens? Hyphen? Okay, we're going with hyphen. It's in the middle. <laughs> that one. Dash. So, parent-childbond.com. And um, I am on social media, but I'm still like in the embarrassing social media, <laughs> figuring it out on about TikTok and Instagram and Facebook are all the same where it's four, like the number four ADHD mamas. Hey. Great. I will link all of those. Any final thoughts yeah. before we close for today? I would just, if people have more questions, I am dorkishly, like, I love supporting families who are 
wondering about ADHD or autism. And so it's, it's a hard, hard journey to know where to go. And so if people just have questions, they can email me at Gretchen at parentchild.com. And I offer a free 15 minute consult too on my website. If people just want to ask, I want them that. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. much Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun. What a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and and just being able to put different stories out there. I think people really resonate with stories. So it's a great thing. today's episode supported. If you would like to schedule with Gretchen or follow her on social media, you can find the links in the show notes. Again, thank you for listening and please take care of yourself today.